welcome back to Rebuilders. It is nice to be here. It's good to have you back. Thank you. It is good to be back. I have uh, relegated Daniel to the position of recording again. Sorry, Daniel. Intrepid sound man. It's also nice to have you here. Um, well, a lot has been happening. Yes. Uh, we started this maybe three weeks ago. Three? Yeah. Two weeks ago. Uh, it, time's gone weird. Yeah, time has we gone weird. Yeah, I think we will yes. be talking about that. Um, yeah, what is time? <laughs> um, we're also talking about how there, there's been kind of a change in how people have been engaging, obviously, with uh, social media and online platforms. We as a church have had to go online um, in probably all ways. Uh, also, you posted something... Uh, yesterday, I think it was about the rise in people engaging or looking for prayer yeah. um, across the world, and yeah, talk to us about that. What what are you seeing is happening? Yeah, there was a, a study which came out of the University of Copenhagen, um, and essentially what they were saying was that looking at Google searches across 150 countries, there'd been this massive surge in. Um, they call it religiosity in prayer, uh, particularly people searching for the word prayer. Um, and that was in multiple languages. Um, to help, help people understand too, this is not coming from you know, an American Christian college. This is Denmark, which is very low levels of religiosity and uh, particularly academia in Denmark um, it's coming from. Uh, but I thought it was an absolutely fascinating trend. Um, and in a sense, it aligns with a lot of, I think, what was speculated, that secularism is propped up by a set of conditions being in place that the government can provide for you, that the mall can provide for you, the shopping centre, that, um, you know, you can have this life where you can do what you want to do when you want to do it, as we talked about in the last episode. And it's fascinating to see this surge then in religiosity. Um, there, was one, there was one study I saw around um, how secular societies are, and it said that it's argued that societies tend to be more secular uh, where there's less of a survival need in the culture. So in a sense, the more abundance there was, um, the less sort of survival mechanism uh, where people had to, you know, could face mortality and the fragility of life. Uh, this, this, this particular study was arguing that. So it's interesting to see us move more now to, you know, that survival things come up um, and people are working you know, I've talked a lot about a high-performance society and other, you know, that's from a number of um, sort of writers saying that the West is a high-performance society. So in a sense, we were running around uh, like headless chickens trying to achieve all these things. But now that people are busy, I think this, this is actually a profoundly busy time for many people. But now it's like, will I have a job or I've just lost a job or I'm trying to work from home and I'm got, you know, trying to cook a, a lasagna whilst Zoom meeting plus, you know, teaching my kids. Um, but, you know, for me... Um, it showed that there's actually this incredible, I think, moment happening in the midst of this crisis. And I've been thinking about how do you lead people through this particular moment has been something that's really on my, mm. my head. And how do we, you know, this podcast is for leaders. So I think that would be a great thing just to talk about more. Like how, how, do, we, how do we help leaders lead through this time? 
is is a really key thing because there's an opportunity in the midst of this. Just just to quickly give something, I mean, I just spoke to um, my friend Brian Heasley, he's the international director for Twenty Four Seven Prayer, mm-hmm. and they confirmed like all their stuff is just going insane statistics of people around the world. You know, not just English, Spanish, all different languages who are pressing into prayer at this moment. It's an incredible opportunity. Yeah, I guess um, as you were sort of speaking, it it's made me think that people are asking so many more questions than they have before and those questions return with void answers. Like there is no answer to will I still have a job in a week, month, year? Will I still be able to feed my family? Do I Am I able to keep my house? You know, all of these questions that actually are unanswerable but this is when people start to turn to prayer, to turn to a creator, mm. someone who is more powerful than our own circumstances. Mm. So what an exciting opportunity to lead in that time. Mm. Yeah. And it's a different kind of leadership. I think that's what this podcast has been really trying to help people with. There's a book called Deep Change written by Robert Quinn mm-hmm. and it's sort of a business book. And, and his argument was that uh, lead for people to lead at a high level of authority with a high level of impact, they need to go through a process of deep change internally. Um, all of us have dysfunctions uh, which prevent us from leading and influencing in the way that we would like to. And, you know, it's coming from a secular perspective, this book, but I think it's some really interesting truths in there. And what he said was most people don't have the self-discipline to really do that change. There's a tiny majority of people who are just driven, just have that motivation. And what he said was that most people enter then into that when they hit what's called a transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a transition, all of a sudden you actually hit a crisis. So what a lot of people don't realize is crisis and transition are intimately linked. Mm-hmm. Very few people will move towards the deep change that affects and, and influences other people in a profound way without going through some crisis. And he says that people respond to crises in two ways. Most people run from it, but then there's a bunch of people who realize that there's a transitory moment that will happen where we will then go to another level of growth. Our friend Terry Walling um, has written extensively about this and and people like Bobby Clinton and so on uh, have looked at this and see there's definitely this Christian sense of this as well, that when we enter into a crisis, that which we put our trust in normally Mm -hmm. uh, in a situation, uh, those things fall away. So we have to relook at where do we get identity? Where do we get security? Where do we get a sense of meaning? All these things are up in the air. And even uh, Cotter wrote the classic book, uh, business book, Leading Change. And he argues that you actually have to manufacture crises in an Mm. organization to get people to change. Well, we don't need to manufacture. We actually are in the midst of a crisis. So how do you then lead people through a crisis to ensure that positive change will happen. And in the scriptures, we have all these incredible metaphors. Uh, and if you're in a church or a tradition which is reading through the Lenten readings, you're mm. probably immersed in these at the moment. They're making more sense than usual. You know, particularly the idea of the wilderness. Uh, you know, I've been reading the Lenten readings that our church does, and there's this profound realness that's coming in them at this point in time. But when this kicked off COVID-19, I really began to pray, like, God, what is a metaphor to help people move through this time of transition mm-hmm. and crisis and actually come up with, like, kingdom 
change that we want to see? How do we come out of this not declining? Because in a sense, what's happening is the global system feels in many ways to a lot of people that it's actually regressing. Like nations are, uh, you know, like China and America, the rhetoric is terrible between them. You know, there are countries shutting borders. There's people who can't get home. Like there's this heightened moment of tension. So how do we actually at this time move through this? Now, there's this really interesting term in the business world called VUCA. And in VUCA, it's a, uh, what do you call it when you have letters that represent something? An acronym. An acronym. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, VUCA stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And in many ways, that's what the sort of stage of globalization that we're heading into was. There was a sense where it brought lots of wonderful things, but there were all those things were about it. It was, you know unpredictable, it was very volatile, we had terrorism, we had political instability, um, we weren't exactly sure where it was going to go, although lots of elites said, oh, this is just going to make the world 100% better. Um, it's complex, connecting everyone to everything is a deeply complex thing, and then it's ambiguous, like, what does this mean? Like, what is this crisis? What, what will this do? We don't know. Mm. And there's a lot written in the business sort of field around VUCA and had a lead in VUCA. There's one particular book, and I just want to just pick out one thing from that book. Um, it's called Leading in a VUCA World. I think it comes out of the Netherlands. Um, and Jacobus Koch and Barney Jordan, Jordan, apologies for my terrible Dutch pronunciation, um, they say that one of the things that's really helpful in leading people through a time of you know, VUCA, VUCA worlds is metaphor. Because we don't have the markers where to actually, like, just at the moment, we talked about time. Time is completely thrown out at the moment. Completely. Have you experienced this? Yeah, seriously. I, um, well, because you don't have the same structures of a workday, um, every, yeah, everything is just in a weird sort of, transitory state like yeah i don't know you probably experience it more with family oh as it's well. it's weird i mean we were we and some people from red were going to head over to the uk like oh yes with Myself included. Family, we're going to come and <laughs> yeah. and um that, that was ahead so you knew that in may we were yeah. all heading uh trudy um and, and i had that plan you know like things i was going to like buy certain things you realize that i need to get a coat for, for europe you know or whatever there's all these things that I had that I didn't realize were arranging my conception of time. Yeah, it's true. Now my conception of time is how long do I have to wait until I get the refund on my Airbnb that I booked yes. in France? <laughs> yes, yes. It's, so it's like all the usual markers are gone and there's this bleeding in a private, public, not private, but, you know, private work. It's all blurring. Yes. Um, is this the weekend? Is it not? It's so bizarre. And even with church, we don't have that regular. Like we're doing live streaming. Um, but then increasingly people are doing pre-records and when is it Sunday, when is it not? It's, it's so fascinating. It really is playing with our concept of time. Mm. So that's a marker. Time is one marker. Um, leaders too had this weekly marker where we'd have everyone in that room. That's a time thing. But then you would also have this relational marker. Oh, I need to catch up with so-and-so. I'll see them just to check they're okay. Yes. All gone. Uh, students at the moment that's gone uh, like uh, seasons in sport it's it's totally bizarre Every, everything's just gone that movie coming out like what's going to happen i think they're all they're starting to just send them straight to um like apple yes yeah just download just, instantly. yeah but then movies that they can't make now it's really interesting that oh, we yeah. we thought you know would happen so there's like yeah these movies that have been cancelled so 
metaphor then becomes this powerful, powerful tool. Because what we need, we're, we're humans are story creatures. And I believe that's actually because, you know, God is a creator. We're living in his story. Um, and Jesus used stories all the time totally. to help us understand the world around us. Yes. To show us what that kingdom actually looks like exactly. in our context. Yeah, parables, um, story, like, yeah, such a powerful leadership tool. And I think mm-hmm. we don't use that. Like so much of Christian ministry has been influenced by business thinking, which, you know, there's some good stuff there. I'm just quoting a number of business books now. But also the business world has gone through this like crisis because how do you plan? We plan for this world just in time, supply chains, and all of a sudden this has all gone out the window. The whole yeah. business global system is in crisis at the moment because of a VUCA world and this unpredictable pandemic, which actually really was totally predictable, but we didn't want to believe that it could be. And so I've been for weeks like, God, what's the metaphor? What's the metaphor to help people understand this? Because metaphors also cut through um, the the information tsunami that's coming at yeah. us. I mean, what's so interesting at the moment, I mean, literally I think the CDC in America today are recommending now that all Americans should wear masks. A number of um, European countries are now, you should all wear masks. And three weeks ago, our media was filled with stories of you don't need to wear a mask. People in Asia wear yeah. masks, but you don't need to wear a mask. So what is it? Like... Yeah. And, and we face this all the time. Like, you know, do you go for herd immunity? Britain was going to go for herd immunity and that's where they were leading them. And then all of a sudden they backtrack and freak out and hang on, this could kill this many people. Uh, President Trump a couple of weeks ago was saying, oh, this is just the flu. Today he's like saying, it's not just the flu. This is just this tsunami of information about one topic. So how do you guide your people through it, through metaphor? And for me, I was praying about this and this this quote sprang to my mind that I'd heard five years earlier that got mm-hmm. stuck in my head. And it was from Nikola Berdyaev, who was a, a, a Russian thinker, Christian, who was originally a, a communist, a Bolshevik revolutionary, um, and then became a Christian after becoming disillusioned with it. And he came up with this theory that at the end of the modern era, the modern era was defined by going forward, almost conquering the night. Mm-hmm. You think about the, the, the image of the streetlight. Britain, uh, London phenomenally changed. American cities phenomenally changed when these gas lamps went in and people could see. And all of a sudden, you could actually have a night time and you could go out at night because it wasn't horrifyingly dangerous. And in a sense, you know, the 24 hour city, think of Times Square, which is just absolutely lit, mm. you know. Uh, yeah, 24 hours a day, it's just this bright thing. Modernity pushes back against the light. But Badaev postured that after the modern era, which he sort of saw as this time of day, that this night would come. And he saw that night was something which the modern world feared. Mm. It talked about the dark ages and then the light of the modern world. And he saw that if a night came, it wouldn't be the end of everything. It actually would be this period where actually this renewing could happen. Mm. He is the quote, night is not less wonderful than day. It is equally the work of God. It is lit by the splendor of the stars and it reveals to us things that the day does not know. Night is closer to day. So night is closer than day to the mystery of all beginning. And there's this really interesting reframing of night there. And that just stuck with me. Like what if this is a night period? It's really strange. It's a strange night. We don't know how long this night will go. Yeah. And I was pondering this and then I saw the just incredible images of Pope 
Francis preaching and praying uh, in St. Peter's Square in torrential rain, darkened. I think you saw yeah, it. Yeah, Like the bells ringing, but then these sirens just continued. It was like an apocalyptic 70s movie. Yeah. And um, his sermon, I looked up the English translation, and it began by saying, a night has fallen. And I just that's that's the metaphor. Yeah. A night has fallen. It's a strange night. We don't know when it's going to end. But let's reframe the night. Let's find the metaphor. But let's re- use that metaphor then to reframe this moment, that a night has fallen. And I think it was sealed for me. I went out and I went for a walk um, the other night and I walked around the block and it was just so quiet. But I saw all this wildlife that normally doesn't come out. And I saw a couple of owls. I saw a giant bat <laughs> land on the road and eat something. I've never seen that. Um, a fox was walking down the street. So there's actually this work that happens in the night. Yeah. And I think I actually went for a walk on that same night around um, my neighbourhood and, yeah, it was really beautiful. And in, in the nighttime with those street lights, you see things in a different way. You actually view reality from a different perspective and that's what... Um, we're inviting people into what God is potentially inviting people into in this night time, in this metaphor of the night. Yeah. And the good thing about a night is it also helps us with the unknowability of time because there's a point where a night will end. The other thing that I've noticed is been getting up and and there's just been the most incredibly stunningly beautiful sunrises of yes. life. Like crazy. Like I don't know if this is happening all over the world, but here we are in Victoria, Australia, and there's just been these incredible pink hues, purple hues every morning, just like this heralding, uh, you know, sunrise, daybreak. And that's the other thing with the night. Like night's here, but night is broken. The the scriptures tell us that there's, I think it's, is it Psalm 30? The, the watchman wait, hope One, in the dawn. 130. So. Is it 130. 130, thank yeah. you. Um, that the watchmen wait for the dawn. So in a sense, we've all become those sort of watchmen, those watch women who are mm. on the sea because we realize there's a danger in the night. We're doing a job in the night. We're waiting on the Lord and we're waiting for dawn to break. So at the end of this, this is, this is a way to also help your people lead through this because this will be a period. We don't know when it ends. You know, you've got everything from, oh, this is going to be over. It'll oh, be over in three weeks. We can start coming back. Six months. You know, our Prime Minister said 18 months. You know, I've heard people say that, you know, say goodbye to international travel for two to three years. Like, you know, and probably it's not going to happen in a key moment. I remember years ago watching a midday movie with my dad and it was a <laughs> Shirley Temple film. I was a kid. Shirley Temple film and it was set during the Depression. And at the near the end of the movie, on a Shirley Temple sitting there. What was it called? Do you I remember? have no idea. Oh. We're gonna, you can look I'll this Google up. it later. Daniel. Daniel Intrepid Soundman. <laughs> we'll look this up. I haven't given him, if you just put Shirley Temple movie, it might Depression. be a bit depressed. And there's this bit in the end of the movie where they're there and they get to the end and this guy bursts in the door and he's like, everyone, the depression has ended. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's good. And then Dad's like, no, nah, it wouldn't have happened like that. You know, it took them you know, years to come back from that. And this Thanks, could Dad. happen in stages. I mean, people talk about Beijing coming back online. I just watched a video this morning about Beijing coming back online. It's not back online in any way that we would expect it. It's still a very slow, mm. you know, people slowly coming back. But there's a, there will be a period when this is passed. And, you know, by thinking about that, I realize that what you're doing to your people is, and we don't know how long this will be, but the metaphor then gives you this, this moment of 
this will break at one point. Now, I began to realize that that reframed it. The metaphor even began to help me as a leader. And then the last sort of thing I thought, I need a metaphor. I need to help people understand the duration of this. How do you lead when we don't know how long this is going to be? Normally we're like, Easter's coming up at this stage. There's Christmas. Church years are in cycles. Um, uh, But I then began to think, when this breaks and night is over, what is the work of night I hope that God has done? Mm. And I realized that where we've been, we've been at this moment where the church has been seemingly in an increasingly weakened position in the West, where the feeling as I speak to people all across, not even just the West, but even increasingly outside the West, is that we're losing people. We're losing the strength of the church. And so I thought, I prayed into God, like, what do you want when dawn breaks? When dawn breaks and the COVID-19 pandemic is over and we can finally all gather, Mm. like, without fear. I thought a lot about that Sunday. And for me, the thing I, I felt God saying is, my job as a leader at this time, leading in this new way, is to provide a metaphor. But ultimately, like, in a sense, the slogan of the season, mm-hmm. I felt, is what God wants is for people to come back stronger. Mm. We need to lead our people in this time, and we can't lead them like we normally lead them, but we need to lead our people in this time. So when, when there's a night, do the work of night. As Badeev said, there's certain things that God can only do in a nighttime season. But when dawn breaks, we want people to come back stronger. So therefore, we need to now do the things that we come back stronger in God, more dependent on him, Mm. that we actually come back with a stronger sense of his presence, that people come back with stronger households, whether you live by yourself in a share house, whether you're a single mum with kids, whether you're a big family, whether you're an empty nester, whatever your household looks like, that's become this frontline thing, which it always should have been, that your household comes back stronger. Um, and then we come back stronger as the church. So almost the nighttime things, I looked it up, plants do really strange things at night. <laughs> they almost renew themselves and they're not photosynthesizing, so they do different things at night. Uh, they absorb water in ways they can't do in the day. So I believe we're in a night. Mm. Dawn will come. But let's lead and make sure that we're partnering with God so that on that first Sunday back with all your people, it's not just a hugathon. You can look people in the eye and see that your people have come back stronger. What an exciting invitation. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Lydia.